This is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello! This week we're joined by the comedian, actress and author Jenny Slate, whose most recent book, Little Weirds, came out late last year. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Hi, thank you for having me. Given that you're self-isolating like the rest of us right now, what's home for you at the moment? Right now I am in Massachusetts and usually I live in LA during this time of the year. I kind of, I go to LA when it becomes too cold in Massachusetts and uh, my fiance usually live in LA from early December through uh, late April. But right before there was the stay at home ordinance in LA, we decided to throw a bunch of random stuff in my car and drive from Los Angeles to Massachusetts in the most robotic and intense road trip uh, ever to be taken. So now I'm, I'm in Massachusetts where we do have, uh, fortunate enough to have more space and be near our families, even though we're not seeing them. What is one thing that you panic packed that you, when you unloaded the car, you were like, oh, we definitely didn't need that thing. All of my clothes, all of them, all of my clothes. I brought all of my clothes and it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I have a lot of like jumpsuits that I, I've only worn one time because they're too fancy. And also every time I have a jumpsuit, I'm like, why do people do this? Every time you go to the bathroom, Everyone knows this. I don't even know why I'm saying it, but it's like, oh, okay, here I am at like, oh, I wish I could say like the symphony, but I mean, like, let's get real. But here I am at a thing where I decided to wear a fancy jumpsuit and now I'm like naked in a bathroom because there's only a thong under here because now also I somehow don't wear bras. So all of that is what I brought, like all my coats, all of this stuff, and then a bunch of books and... um you know, we really did not pack wisely at all. And our plan also was that we were like, well, we, you know, we don't feel sick, but we don't know if we've been exposed. And it's, and, you know, so we're going to eat only from what we bring in the car and only uh, leave the car to uh, like pump the gas or to sleep in, you know, like a Fairfield Marriott that has been sanitized by us like the room and we were sleeping on top of a quilt in our sleeping bags um for about four and a half hours a night and then we drove 16 hours and what we were eating in our car was like jerky bananas peanut butter it it wasn't bad but it was just really it's a lot like the astronaut who wore the diapers to go and kill somebody but we didn't kill anyone we didn't kill anyone I love how you you were like, I didn't know what to pack. I packed everything. And it's like, well, how do you pack for a pandemic? You know, I feel like I keep on being like, well, why did I make that decision? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to behave in this situation. It's all weird. Yeah, it's all totally crazy. The fact is that when I talk about travel, all I want to talk about is my suitcase. It's so weird that I can't get it right. And it's so insane how long I stress about it and then get it wrong. Oh, like, you know how Mary Poppins just pulls everything out of the thing? She's got her plant and her lamp and everything. I think that's how high my expectations are for my suitcase. But when we went to France last summer, I was like, well, it's France in the summer. And we're going to be like in Provence. So you know I'm going to wear like beautiful white dresses and, uh, walk, you know, wear like sandals that I can walk around in and just 
I'm just going to pack like three dresses and it will be that way. And instead, it was like a suitcase filled with like <laughs> sexual dresses by, you know, like reformation or whatever that like are great dresses, but also you get BO in them one time and you're like, ah, this is totally ruined, you know, like <laughs> I didn't bring the cotton ones. I brought the ones that are like a rayon blend. And it's like, I know what I want to be and that I just want to have like three dresses and be like a traveling fashion nun, just like have three things. But I don't feel that I'm worth anything to anyone unless I have everything that I could possibly be costumed in. And so I bring everything with me all the time. And then I do something like I forget socks. I can tell you, I packed to come to Dallas thinking I was only gonna be here for less than a week. Uh, and so I have like five days worth of clothes and two black tie gowns. Yeah. So I, I, I totally understand. I'm like getting real dressed up for dinner over here. Oh, man. So beyond the current situation, you have traveled to a lot of pretty wild places over the years. The Arctic Circle for Sunlit Night being yeah. one of them. What trips either for work or not, um, have really pushed you out of your comfort zone and sent you into some really crazy places? You know, the way that I've ever taken trips has been just for vacation. And, and like my family grew up not taking a lot of vacations, uh, or I grew up not taking a lot of vacations, but we would take some and we would always do the same kind of thing. Like we would go to an island in the Caribbean or like Puerto Rico and go to sort of a big hotel and eat a breakfast buffet and go in the pool and go in the ocean and like no adventure vacations, nothing like that. And I've always been like, an adventure vacation is stressful. Why would you go hiking on a vacation? That's so annoying. You know, like, I just want to relax. I'm tired. And, and I don't, I just don't want anything to be difficult. I mean, generally, I just don't, things are already hard enough. But when I went to the Arctic Circle, and I've been there now four times um, to the same place and three or four times. I, I, and um, I found that that did not push me out of my comfort zone at all. In fact, I, I felt really at home there, even though the environment is extreme in, in that like, usually when I would be there, it would be 24 hours of sunlight a day. But that for me is really ideal. And, uh, but I will say recently, uh, my fiance and I went down to Patagonia and I just went first because he wanted to go and I was curious and I, I think it is good when you trust someone and you love to watch them love something to join in. But I didn't really expect to like it as much as I did. I didn't have a bad attitude, but like there really isn't anything in me that, that wants to go hiking all day long or that even knew what that was. But I, I did it and I genuinely loved it so much, so much. I was like brought up to think that there's one way to relax, but that's actually not the case. Um, it sounds like, you know, you're talking about feeling surprisingly at home in the Arctic Circle and then discovering that actually you enjoyed Patagonia a lot more than you maybe expected to it sounds like you feel some sort of kinship with like these kind of vast open quite wild spaces I guess I do and a lot of it is it's just that you know I've always thought like comfort comes from knowing 
knowing your surroundings really, really well. I've, I've, I misunderstood that about myself. And I never really, you know, I didn't like take a year abroad in college. I never understood it when people said, quote unquote, I like to travel. I always just thought that was like strange and kind of meant that maybe you were boring that and like running marathons. I was always like, you just do that because you don't know how to fill your time and you're not content where you are. But in fact, that's first of all, very rude of me to think. And it's also not true. And when I went to the Arctic Circle for the first time, I really went because I had just been through a breakup and my friend Rebecca and I were like more than a year away from making this movie, but she lived, used to live in Lofoten in Norway in these, this archipelago of islands where we went. And the, the man, Michael Clark, who was producing that film was like, you know what, I think, I think we should go and check it out. And I just kind of jumped on it in sort of a, like, I'll just take me anywhere. Just literally get me out. You know, I'll go anywhere to try to forget about how I feel right now. And, um, I've just never thought of myself as a very rugged person. And, um, I'm afraid of getting hurt physically. So, I just had no idea that it would feel so good to be around these mountains that are carved by ice. They're really, really tall. They're really strange shapes. And they're not really accessible. They're not like, you know, the White Mountains in Vermont or something that's just like, you know, come on up. It's, they're, they're really doing their own thing. And what I like about those vast landscapes is that you really can't take them personally. They're really doing something for themselves. And I like that feeling of smallness that some people say makes them feel like insignificant, like, oh, I'm just a speck of dust. But for me, I feel like really vital in my tininess. Yeah, in those places. Um, I read this interview with you in Vulture um, from last year when you were promoting Sunlit Night. You talked about this thing that I thought was so interesting where the you talked about the book that the movie was based on and how it was by a woman who decided for no reason other than her instincts to go to the top of the world by herself and pointed out that this isn't something that women are encouraged to do and it is a thing that is an honor that is reserved for men and that men claim take stake their claim on You you know being in that movie and kind of experiencing that role what do you think you learned from that experience I mean I guess I guess what I learned is that I've been conditioned to collect and express experiences still in like a whatever you want to call like a female way and that while there is so much like dearness and and power to traditional femininity that the things that were happening for me emotionally were like creature things or spirit things or um, just like things about being alive that I really, really felt were diminished if I tried to say like, this is me and I'm just like a woman doing this because, you know, there's a way in which, and it's not a knock on the movie, but like if you if you go and you do your own thing, you're in your own version of Under the Tuscan Sun, which by the way is a movie I've watched infinity times and I love that movie. But you know, like those films are always about ascension from pain and degradation. And while I would love to just avoid degradation, I really don't want to like ascend from my pain 
until it just like mists away around me, you know? And like, I think when I was there, I just was like first experiencing it as like, I'm an actress and I'm cool because I came here and I say all the lines and like everyone's looking at me and I'm so cold, but I'm not complaining because I'm also nice. And it just <laughs> was like, I don't care about this. This isn't what I think about myself more. I just love the fact that like, and I think I've said this before, but that like, I was in a place that I did not recognize at all um, in, a, in a, a scenery that I didn't recognize at all and that I was so apparent to myself. All of my qualities, my personality and my skill set, you know, they were really in like a wonderful relief next to this backdrop. And, um, and I think in general, that's now why I like traveling because, um, because you get to sort of step out of like the bindings of your normal life and the things that have made you feel like shame or or labeled in one way or another and you get to go somewhere else and if you're smart you don't try to be a total stranger but you look at like what remains when you're in somewhere new and um and you're yourself if that makes any sense no it does i mean i feel like this kind of connecting with yourself, but also making sure you connect with the people around you. You know, you've been really open about suffering from stage fright in the past and travel, yeah. you know, whether you're traveling alone or not, almost offers up its own kind of stage fright because you really have to put yourself out there when you're meeting new people and going new places. Do you feel like what you've learned on how to cope with that on stage has translated to how you act when you travel now? I, I think they're kind of two different things because um, nobody in like an airport or uh, on a sidewalk in another country that, you know, a country where I'm not, I'm not native to that place. Like uh, nobody's expecting anything of me except for that. I don't like punch them in the face or whatever. <laughs> just like Take a shit on the sidewalk, like just follow the normal rules and no one's like really going to want anything from you. Um, whereas, you know, on stage, the expectations are just, they're just, um, you're just, you're fraught with expectation. But uh, yeah, I think I have no blinders on when I have stage fright. I'm like 100% vulnerable and it's phase one of a process of emergence, but it is horrible. Uh, it's very like uncomfortable. And um, I actually really like the cleanness of travel. I think the first time that I ever traveled internationally totally by myself was in the winter of 2010, when I went to Thailand to visit my best friend. And what I noticed about myself was that like, I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how to go through the customs alone. And I don't know how to do all this stuff. And then I was like, you're 29. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> what are you doing? And that I just had um, blinders on and made the moments really, really small. And then once I got there, the experience was really, really big. But no, I, sorry, that's a long answer. But I, I think those experiences are totally different for me. And um, I get a real kick out of efficiency in my life. I'm not, I'm not that way on stage. On stage, I am like just completely not controlled. Um, I'm observant, but not controlled. And when I travel, I like, ooh, I just love efficiency. And I think I'm a good traveler. And um, the only thing that I'm bad at is packing my suitcase and everybody who knows me knows that. What do you feel like is, what is like the efficiency that you 
like relish in when you're traveling, like a thing that you're like, oh yes, this is so great that this is so in a box and I know what I'm doing. Well, I like having, like usually before I leave, I like, you know that part in Amelie when like her mom dumps her purse, purse out and like vacuums it? I'm like that. I, I, um, I love my purse to be so organized and because I'm not like that in my daily life. It's just filled with little papers and um, strange things that like, rocks and shells garbage um but I love having clean purse and I just like love being on time and uh, uh when I'm on time I just think that's so great if I have time to get a glass of like a like a cup of coffee or a beer in the airport I, I won't get a glass of wine but if I'll get a beer that's really nice and I love how being efficient with my time allows for extra treats when I'm in airports in other countries, I really like to have enough time to look at the different candies and things that I've never seen before. We are both very pro airport bar. Yeah, I love an airport bar. Yeah, when me and Meredith travel together for work, I, I'm very much an early airport person um, and Meredith is not. And a lot of it is because I like having my little time at the airport bar before I get on the plane. Yeah. It's a big source yeah. of contention in our friendship. <laughs> I want to drive by. I want just like a straight to the bar, straight to the gate, no time spent uh, sitting at all. I understand that. Yeah. But yeah. actually on that note, you know, obviously you have been traveling a lot for a long time um, and then you started traveling with your partner. What was it like to suddenly have to kind of adapt your own travel habits around his well, there is something always like romantically sad about traveling alone that I could just never get over, but I never tried to get over either. Um, on the rare occasions that I did pack my suitcase well, which means like I, it's not overstuffed. I bring appropriate things. I might even have like a color scheme. Um, I would feel this sense of like sad tidiness um, and just like being so lonely, but it sort of felt good. And I, I felt a real sense of my adulthood um, because also my childhood is always still present. So I'm you know, like, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm the grown up of me. And that was all there. And then um, I think I was expecting it to be more difficult or to have something taken away. But I will say one of the delights of our relationship is that we're really good at traveling together. And, um, and we like noticed it the first time we did it. It was like, wow, this was... It was like really, really good. And I remember before we went on our first trip together and we'd like only been dating maybe like a month and he wrote me something about how he was excited for me to, to watch the suitcases while he looked for snacks or vice versa and like how, how that would be really nice. And I remember being like, oh, he's on a, he gets it. He really understands these like sweet interactions. And so I think traveling with him just makes it better. And I do think that's why we, we travel a lot. And um, he came with me on all of my tour dates for my book tour and hosted all the Q&As. And um, that traveling was incredibly fun, incredibly fun. And it's, it's mostly just because like sometimes two people can really stress each other out. I think that happens when you don't, I don't know. I think it happens when like somehow you, you feel that the other person, uh, like there's already, you feel wronged, like that's already in place. Because I've had relationships where like it could go any, it could have gone either way in the airport, but for some reason we're pissed, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, not, once you've made that decision, you can't shake it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I mean, or that's how I used to feel. I, I think I'm, 
I mean, the way that I am now with the amount of travel for fun that I do with Ben, my fiance, is um, it's evidence that a lot has changed in me because I just never really traveled at all before unless it was for work. I never traveled for pleasure. I didn't think I deserved it. He and I travel a lot now. And it's, um, yeah, it's really a pleasure to share that. But you have to be with someone who's also going to like let you do your weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, you have to take the time to do your weird stuff, or I think you go as crazy as if you were pissed at the airport. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you talk about feeling like you didn't deserve it, because we have been writing a column on women who travel that's basically called I Deserve This, about all the things that we do just for ourselves when we're on the uh-huh. road. How do you treat yourself? What are the things that you do just for you, whether you're traveling with someone else or on your own? Um, if I'm on tour... I try to go in whatever city I'm at to first choice is to like, you know, a botanical garden or an arboretum. And the next thing is at this point, I try to um, have like a very nice meal, you know, like I try to go to like the good restaurant and to not um, feel bad if I like, you know, decide to to order something just to try it and then like take it back to my hotel room and allow myself to eat it four hours later. But I would say the main thing that I'm like, this is for me and I love it. And I cannot at this point live without it is I wake up every morning when I'm traveling early enough to be able to order a pot of coffee to my room and, and sit and have coffee in like a nice white teacup and just really have that time. I absolutely love coffee in a hotel. And I really like that when I'm alone. It's something that makes me feel really uh, sweet. And I think when I'm lonely, the thing that um, makes me remember that I'm not abandoned, but I'm just alone, which is like weirdly something that I have to work on a lot, is doing something that makes me feel like, like somebody nice just came in and cared for me. It's interesting what you say about loneliness, which you have written and talked about a lot um and I think it's something that a lot of people sometimes I think experience acutely for the first time when they're traveling and traveling alone and obviously now in our current times people are having to experience it in this very like strange intensified way that none of us could have ever predicted but how did you and you say it's something you're still working on but how did you start to develop the ability to be alone and find those ways to comfort yourself? Well, I think first I was forced into it, which felt very hard and felt like an end point. But I think I've always been curious about people who like to spend time alone because I just never was one of them and um, have always been like very much like a dog. Like, like if you, (laughs) Like if you leave me alone in a house or you leave a house, you know, that's like also weird phrasing for me to use, like you leave me, you know, Um, that is really deep inside of me. But um, I just wait. I just like wait until the person comes back. A lot of times like wouldn't do anything. Not that I would like look out the window, but time would freeze. And I just never understood journaling if not for someone to find it and I never understood like going to a museum for by yourself if not for some imaginary strange handsome man to admire you or something I just did not get it and um and I just slowly started to 
safely be alone. And I think like the scariest part for me used to be the like pre-dawn hours when you're still in your dream and your psyche has full hold on everything. But when I would wake up and I realized that like I had full control over how the morning would go, I started to really enjoy my alone time and start to need like at least an hour in the morning alone to like make my French press coffee and write my half an hour in the journal and do my meditation, which actually helps and, um, you know, walk my dog and things like that. And um, I started to build it in the morning and then it just started to be more welcome in my day. But, but I still, without being sad, I, I can feel very lonely. And I just, I just don't think I'm supposed to get rid of it at this point. I think I'm just supposed to keep an eye on it. Well, I suppose it's that thing where it's like you're allowed to feel lots of different things and you can feel more than one thing at the same time. And I think that's something that I'm trying to like teach myself at the moment, um, which is that I can like, you know, kind of sad and also be happy and on a wider wider scale, like be content with my life, even if I'm experiencing this like very odd moment now. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I was like a harsh a harsh mommy to myself for a long time where it was like, well, you have to choose. You just have to choose. And, and like, you got to get rid of that. And like, people don't like it when people are like, you know, when, you know, when, when people are sad or angry, they don't, they they don't want to see that from you. And I was way less um, generous towards myself than I would ever be to anyone else. And, um, and just the smallest changes make the, like such a big difference in my life. And I'm very far from um, having it, figured out but but I I will say I've like eliminated the sense of dread that I used to have about when the loneliness will come back and the same thing actually is with my with stage fright like I don't dread the stage fright anymore it just it just comes and is is there but you know here one thing I noticed is like before we did our road trip to come back to Massachusetts there was so much really uncomfortable anticipation and we're still in it about like what is the this situation with COVID-19 going to be like when it spikes and like what are we all in for? And one thing that I realized was that I didn't feel lonely as we left because I was FaceTiming with my friends a lot and a lot of them. And I realized that I do think I'm lonely, but what I realized for the first time is that I'm incredibly avoidant. And I, I'll go for weeks without speaking to people because I am so turned off by how much I know I need from them. And um, that was a really confusing puzzle piece to have found <laughs> because I think of myself as someone who asks for love freely. But when I was leaving and realizing I was going to leave my whole community there, I realized like, well, I left last year to come to Massachusetts and I was terrible at keeping in touch. And that was all on me. Um, so anyway, these moments, like, I think they, um, things start to float to the surface that are incredibly useful. Now that you're spending time FaceTiming people and keeping in touch, and I'm sure talking to your family who is around the corner, but mm -hmm. not accessible. Yeah. Um, what are you doing to, you know, pass the days while we're all home alone? Um, I just do busy work, you know, like, uh, I mean... Ben and I are like, you can see, I don't know if you can see behind me on the Zoom, but this is like a large uh, stack of books about gardening, 
you know, this is where we're here in Massachusetts is like where we're planning to live and have our family if, if we do. And um, so we're sort of like planning out our dream garden. We spend time on that. But I also, we were redoing our kitchen when we left. I don't know if this is so boring, but anyway, it wasn't completed because we weren't supposed to be here. And his family has had this house for generations. So there's like a hundred years of like wine glasses and Sunday cups that I took out of the old kitchen and put in the living room when we left. And it is all covered in a layer of dust as if a hundred years have passed. So I'm going through and organizing everything and dusting. And, um, and I like do that with a mask and gloves and like a weird, stupid outfit. Like, and, um, and I listen to KPCC in Los Angeles or WNYC um, or the local GBH NPR station here in Massachusetts. And I just listen to NPR all day long until I like am saturated. And then I take all my clothes off and get into a bathtub. That's sort of my life right now. You mentioned um, that you've been reading a lot. Have you found yourself going into sort of old reading habits or are you turning to new things? Um, I'm catching up. I'm catching up. So like, I just realized that I had never read Orlando before. And it was like, well, why haven't I read that? Well, okay. Um, so I, I read that. And the, the only thing is that I'm reading in a way that I used to read in college, which is like, I pick a, I'm like, you have to finish this many pages by the end of the day. And that feels really good because I, I feel excellent when I read because my mind is only on one thing. You know, when I'm on my phone and I'm, I'm really not like, I really, really don't do social media at all. Um, I do to promote my friend's works or my own work at this point, but um, it's not like a great space for me to be. So, but if I am on my phone, I'm like having 50 thoughts at once. And it's just, I don't like that. Uh, I like the singular feeling of, of reading. Um, the only thing that I am not doing is we started to watch that show on Netflix called Tiger King and it made me very upset and I don't want to see that show anymore. We, last night we watched Howard's End. That's where I'm at. Okay. I don't need to like see anything else about how people are so, can be really, really lying face down in the sludge. Like as my fiance described it, he was like watching Tiger King is like watching human centipede. Like these people are, it's just like, I hate it. And I, but, and I also like, there's, I have had for years a major embargo on any reality TV. And I think it's bad for me. It makes me feel so gross and angry. Um, and so I'm like in this house reading Virginia Woolf and Elizabeth Strout and, um, I'm reading like loving kindness Buddhism books by Sharon Salzberg. And I have some Knausgaard. I've got George Saunders and I have a Jill Lepore book. I have a copy of Stuart Little and Joseph Campbell, the power of myth, which I did grab from LA cause it was on my desk for a long time and I've never read it. That feels like a ton of recommendations for anyone at home that also does not want to watch Tiger King. Um, our one last question for you is after all of this is over, where do you want to travel next? Um, well, we were supposed to get married in June, um, but we're not anymore because we can't, because it's not safe to do so. But where we were going to go was um, 
to the British Isles. Like we were going to take like sort of like a countryside ramble. And that's something I like. But um, now I'd just like to shoot for something more local and um, pack my suitcase really well and go up to Maine and have like a big pitcher of beer and eat a, eat a lobster. That would be my choice for, for now. Like go to some really nice, well-run bed and breakfast by the sea in Maine, and um, and drink beer and play bananagrams. That sounds so yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. If people want to potentially see you on social media or keep up with what you are doing and what your friends are doing, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, um, I'm Jenny Slate on Twitter, and I'm Jenny Slate on Instagram. Perfect. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah. If you do need something to watch while you're at home, go find Jenny's first special stage fright on Netflix. Be sure to check out womenwhotravel.com for stories, interviews, and more. Follow us on Instagram at womenwhotravel and sign up for our newsletter, which will be listed in the show notes. We will talk to you next week. 